Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I love them. I can't get enough of it. Let's hear that buzz the next. Big jab there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Oh, Down goes Duffy out cold. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe There are a couple of absolutely self-involved bull artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Headshot. Bang. Oh, it's the highlight of my week. I get to see my man, Kenny Florian. It's Monday, February 27th, 2023, episode 392 of the Anakin Florian podcast presented by DraftKings. It is 8 o'clock a.m. Pacific, just after 11 a.m. Eastern. I'm here in Las Vegas at the win. Got a little bit of work in advance of UFC 285. And look at you rocking the One More Sleep merchandise. I'm not worthy. Millions.co slash Anik. Is that, is that the link? Is that the link? Dude, this what shirt, by the way, this shirt's sick, and it's very, very comfortable. I rocked the other one. Uh, in Orlando, and uh, I'm loving the shirts, man. Thank so you. you just had a couple. My pleasure. So you just had a couple seminars over the weekend, but you're back home now. How did that all I go down? Did, exactly. Went did Challenger Series in Orlando. Went from Orlando early in the morning. Uh, so we wrapped at like 12 midnight. Went to sleep about 12:30, 1 a.m. Woke up about 5:30 to take a plane. Uh, went to Orlando, to Charlotte, to Ohio, to Cleveland. Oh did a seminar God. that day. Did another seminar on Sunday, and then drove eight hours uh, to Charlotte last night. Got home around eleven thirty, and then worked out in the what morning. And then here we are. Let's go. I'm not and stopping. Got it in this morning. How's your back? Getting through the workout this morning. All right. Oh, it's rough. No, no. It's actually help. It's helping. Uh, I'm feeling feeling stronger. Back is getting. Uh, 
better little by little. So feeling feel much better, man. Thank it you. is amazing how much working out helps with injuries, right? Especially Dude. as you get older, right? Like I essentially took a little break from lifting because of a medical issue. And now I notice like my patellar tendonitis when I run, which hadn't been something I experienced for almost two years is like back, you know, as, we, as, squats. as we get older, man, we got to do it. We got to keep it. Up. I still like forget. I'm like, oh, I'm like, you know, I still think I'm 28. I'll be yeah. fine. You know, yeah. and you, you, you avoid it and you feel it. And anyways, no one wants to hear about an old guy complaining. I know. Yeah, right. there you go. Our executive producer, Cody Mara, was like, okay, guys, right? Like, you guys <laughs> yeah, were exactly. 17 when I was born. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I had a lot to get into today. So I landed in Las Vegas last night on Sunday, and the first person I see when I get off the plane, Brendan Allen. Wow. So I had reached out to him, actually, after the fight on Saturday night because he is a good friend, and he is going to join us on the program coming up this Wednesday. So the second episode this week of the Anakin Florin podcast comes your way on the DraftKings YouTube channel, and Brendan Allen will be a part of it. We're also efforting Henry Cejudo, so we'll see if that comes to fruition. But nice. don't forget, full episodes right now of the Anakin Florian podcast are on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Remember the show with Bilal Muhammad and Jason Anik still on the Anakin Florian channel, as are clips from this podcast. But essentially, if you do move over to DraftKings with us, we appreciate that. And if you like our videos, those should be the ones that populate. So there is your disclaimer off the top of the show. Want to get into this UFC Fight Night main event between Andre... They're saying Muniz. I go Muniz. I don't fucking know. Andre Muniz, Brendan Allen. We'll get into Tommy Fury and Jake Paul a little bit, even though Ken Flo doesn't really want to get into that. Uh, how about Nikita Krilov and Ryan Spann, though, going away? I mean, at least it gets rebooked for March 11th. Yeah. But Ryan Spann was brought to tears at his press conference that he had, sort of an impromptu press conference when Nikita Krilov, it was learned, couldn't fight because of food poisoning. I know they're going to run this thing back on March 11th in Las Vegas, and they're actually going to have fans, which I think will be nice for both athletes. But can you give us anything in terms of a fighter mentality? I know you dealt with a lot of different circumstances early on in your career, swing bouts and other things, but for Ryan Spann to sort of have this type of emotion come out of him and talk about his team. I just think it's really hard. You try to peak, right? You think about maybe going smoking a joint and having a cheeseburger that night. And all of a sudden all that stuff goes away and you go right back into training camp. No, absolutely, man. I I think uh, it's all the work that you put into it. Right. And it's the mindset of preparing your mind and body for war. And, you know, it's one thing to happen a week, two weeks before the fight. And yeah, it's still disappointing. But to have it like the night before or the day of and find out that your opponent isn't going to fight. Um, you almost feel like all that work you put into all the suffering that you put into it, all the preparation is for nothing. And obviously they're going to rebook it, but it's especially difficult if you had a great camp, you're peaking at the right time, and now you got to reset everything. So yeah, that's got to be extremely frustrating, man. I've never had to deal with anything like that, like a yeah. fight fallout that close to the actual fight night. But um, yeah, at, at least they're going to rebook it, that there is some consolation there. And uh, I was looking forward to that fight. I was too, and I did say to my wife, like, this stuff never happens to me where these fight cards get whittled down to like nine or ten fights. Did this ever happen to me? That's right. Fights, nice little tidy ten-fight card and a main card of just four fights. We will start with what was the new main event between Andre Muniz and Brendan Allen, and we'll get into your perfect week here in about 15 minutes when Brian Petrie joins us, but you were 4-0 with your predictions. You were pretty bullish on Brendan Allen as a plus 155 underdog. So obviously you have been a believer before your thoughts on a huge, huge win 
for Brendan Allen, who will probably be in the top 11 here in a few hours. Uh, I've seen the potential in Brendan Allen very early on in his career. I still think he has way more potential still. I think this was a great performance for him for a couple different reasons. First of all, uh, Andre, Andre Muniz, Muniz uh, ah. however you want to say it, um, was billed as this you know submission killer, this guy that if, if you touch the canvas, you could be tapping in three seconds. And Brendan Allen put that myth uh, to rest. Uh, I, I think that I, I don't know if there was something going on with Muniz. Again, sometimes we don't get all the information that we want, but Brendan Allen just always seemed to be a step ahead. And what's most surprising about this fight is that he was most dominant uh, on the ground. Um, and so I think that says a lot about about Brendan Allen and the work that he's put in to his overall game. Um, I think that uh, Muniz was a little bit um, awkward on the feet. He's got those long arms. He's got a lot of reach. Uh, but Brendan Allen was still tagging him with some good shots. He seemed to be way more comfortable than Muniz as well on the feet. Even if Muniz was uh, landing some shots, to me, Brendan Allen just seems to be, seemed to be way more comfortable there. Was always a step ahead. And... Uh, not only did he outposition Muniz throughout the fight, then he goes out and submits him from yeah. the, from behind, which is the most dominant position in jiu-jitsu. So um, I, those are the kind of performances that are going to give you a lot of confidence. And Brendan Allen has been working extremely hard. He has some consistency now in his career, and this is only going to fuel him that much more in the future. Again, I think you analytically set it up beautifully. I had some similar notes on Andre Muniz. It seemed like even though he was landing some big shots, he never was really in control of the striking yeah. realm of the fight. And for Brendan Allen, I thought he he mitigated risk really well, but still stayed aggressive. It's absolutely huge for him to get a finish over a guy in Andre Muniz, who a lot of people were trying to pencil into a title fight. I do believe there was something amiss with Andre Muniz. And yeah. you guys know I... I don't love when they have that eight to 10 second, like pre-final round hug. But even when I saw that, Kenny, at the yeah. beginning of the third round, time is of the essence at that point in time. <laughs> totally. Really for both athletes, like it wasn't as though Brandon Allen could be convicted that he was right. up on the scorecards necessarily. But like, guys, by the time they finished the the, the third round pre it's three fucking 452 on the clock. Like we need time <laughs> for offense here. But huge, huge win for Brandon Allen. And. I just thought, and this is part of the reason why we booked him later this week, he just maximized the moment in every capacity, right? On the microphone, in the octagon, right? I think he, he was a little bit upset that he didn't get the main event nod a couple of weeks ago when Jessica Andrade and Aaron Blanchfield, when Andrade was elevated, when Tylo Santos couldn't fight. And, you know, Brendan Allen, he's a young guy, right? Still in his 20s, has this chip on his shoulder, but had like four different call-outs during his post-fight interview. Yeah. I think he believes... And he said things too, Kenny, like, you know, I'm not great. I'm good everywhere, though. I'm really good everywhere. Like, I think he just really wants to know as a martial artist, like, can I stack up with these elite fighters? So I'll spin it to you. I mean, if you're only as good as your latest fight, what is the ceiling for a guy like Brendan Allen? You know, John, I think that's what it's all about. Um, and, and that's certainly what motivated me. It's like, how far can I take this? Like, uh, who, who are the best guys? You know, bring them. Let, let's see what we can do out here. And Brendan Allen has that same mentality. You have seen a slow 
progression, and now it seems like he's he's getting it all together. It's all coming together very well for him. And uh, I thought he maximized that moment, as you said. Uh, you know, it's one thing to have a good performance on fight night. It's yet another thing to do that, you know, capture the moment uh, when you are put into the spotlight as now this new main event. Um, and he did everything he needed to do. Not only did he get the win, he got the finish. He got a finish against a guy who everyone was really high on, who had a ton of momentum heading into this fight. That's about as good as it gets because that's what the UFC is looking for, right? It's like they're exactly. looking for that guy that can do it when it counts and when everyone's watching. And um, I, I thought it was just a, a pretty perfect night for Ben and Allen. So very, and, very cool for him, man. And there's a point of comparison that we will get to in our main event challenge here in about five minutes when BP joins us. Jeff Neal and Shavkat Rachmanov, right? That fight was booked twice, right? But Jeff Neal understands, even though Shavkat Rachmanov is ranked below him. And I know that was not the case for Brendan Allen, right? But yeah. Andre Muniz, in a lot of respects, was the boogeyman. Shavkat Rachmanov, a boogeyman to whatever degree in the welterweight division. Jeff Neal knows as a plus 400 or so underdog this weekend, you beat that guy, all of a sudden you can start to really call some shots. And if you really are of the mindset, like Kenny Florian always was, how far can I take this? How good? No, but you were, though. I remember yeah. even in 2008, like, can I be the best in the world? Like, if that's yeah. really the question that you want to answer, you yeah. got to fucking fight Shavkat at some point. So exactly. it happens for Jeff Neal this weekend. All right, pretty uninspiring co-main event, I thought, between Augusto Sakai and Dontel Mays. I did want to get to Tatiana Suarez um, before we transition to UFC 285. She gets the guillotine over Montana De La Rosa in round two, and Suarez is just such a special human being. Her adversity in her personal and professional life, obviously, at this point is well-documented, but to come back after that type of layoff and perform to that degree, she's going to be a problem, I would think, in two divisions. It sounds like she's going back to strawweight after this one, but what did you think of of Tot's return there on Saturday night. Uh, I, I thought it was it was amazing you know, to see her come back after that long layoff, having those injuries, you know, uh, and perform like she did. I thought was awesome. Uh, you could see uh, the emotions, uh, you know, run wild after she got that finish. Um, she she was just doing exactly what I expected her to do. Always a step ahead, just controlling the fight from the clinch, just nonstop pressure. And, and it's just, it's relentless. Um, she has such an advantage when it comes to wrestling, positional control, uh, takedowns, setting up her takedowns that uh, I don't think there's a lot of people in that division that are happy that she's back. Yeah. I mean, and no matter what division, really. I mean, she, she's just that good. And also it showed her ability to say, you know what? Yes, I'm a wrestler, but I can do submissions off, off of my back. I, I know when I have control of the head and I'm going to go for this guillotine, even though I'm on my back. So it, it showed that she has a new, you know, maybe new levels of confidence and perhaps felt that comfortable on her back where she's like, eh, if I don't get it, I'm going to submit you anyway, or I can get back to my feet up anyway. So uh, I thought it was a good performance against, uh, you know, a, a, a good fighter in uh, Montana De La Rosa. Yeah. yeah, and a pretty good grappler in Montana De La Rosa. And I do think this relationship between Tatiana Suarez and her boyfriend, Patchy Mix, has really helped her elevate, right? When she talks about him, she's never experienced a love like this before. And, um, you know, I feel like they're sort of raising the level of each other. I'm very excited to see Tatiana Suarez back, especially – as a bona fide strawweight contender, because obviously we talk so much on this show and in other places about how good the 115 pound women's division is. But, you know, I feel like she could contend in a couple of divisions. I think a lot of people are intrigued to see Valentina Shevchenko, obviously this weekend against Alexa Grasso in the future against Aaron Blanchfield, but 
Shevchenko versus Suarez is a hugely billable fight, I would think, especially down the line, depending on what Suarez is able to accomplish back at strawweight. All right. You know I'm a UFC guy through and through. Anybody who listens to this podcast knows that. But I can't bet on it. So for me, there are a few things better than having NBA action. And you can be a part of it all with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NBA. Tap into all the excitement with the single click of a button. And new customers can place $5 on any pregame money line bet and get $150 in bonus bet if your team wins. Also, for a limited time, all customers can score a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. You go to the app, opt in, and place the same game parlay on any NBA game. And if it does not hit, you will get a bonus bet back. So here's what I did. Same game parlay Monday night. You know I fade my Boston team. Celtics at the Knicks, Madison Square Garden. Knicks plus a point and a half on the alternate spread. Over 223 and a half points in the game. Knicks have scored at least 115 in each of their last five. And Julius Randle to score 30 points or more. That pays out at plus 675. That's my same game parlay for Monday night. Celtics also going to be without Jalen Brown, by the way. And of course, if that doesn't fancy you, then don't be afraid to bet on UFC 285 this weekend. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app not now, but right now sign up with the code AFPOD. New customers can place $5 on any pregame money line bet and get $150 in bonus bets if your team wins only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code AFPOD. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, I do want to bring Brian Petrie into the discussion. I will have a pronunciation of the week later, but I've already said the name several times. Let us get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. He is the host of the MMA Takes podcast on social media at Brian Petrie MMA. Brian Petrie is with us for the main event challenge. What's up, my man? Hey, what's going on, boys? How you doing? We're doing well. So I saw a lot of your social media offerings this weekend about your new merchandise, which looks very good. Uh, But you you. also pushed out a tweet that said that you purchased the pay-per-view, Tommy Fury and Jake Paul. Was this the first Jake Paul pay-per-view that you purchased or no? The first I purchased, a buddy of mine split it. You know, he Venmo me 25 bucks. I, I ran it off my ESPN Plus. Uh, yeah, first time. Listen, once he signed to MMA, he's kind of entering my realm. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Let's see. Let, let's see. Because I've seen him box before, and now he's getting against a, a real boxer, whatever you want to call him. So, yeah, I purchased it. I did. I bought, I bought it. Tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture? Confused by words like malolactic fermentation? Yeah, we are too. So with 19 Crimes, you can do the fancy schmancy tilt-sip-smell routine, or don't. 19 Crimes is the rebel of wine and culture, telling the stories of rogues and rule breakers who overcame adversities. From convicts banished to Australia, to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, Sonoma, California. So Kenny seems lukewarm as far as this exercise was concerned. Kenny, is that fair to say? I think that's fair. You know, yeah, I'm 
Yeah, uh-huh. it's taken me a little yeah. bit to get on board. But, yeah. Brian, I mean, what what do you think of his performance? Obviously, he's going against an undefeated pro boxer. Mm-hmm. doesn't have a, a ton of pro boxing experience, but he's still, you know, good pro boxer. Right. What did, how did, how did uh, Jake fare against him, you think? Uh, not great. In my opinion, I thought Jake looked very, uh, after the first round, I thought he knew, Oh, I'm not in there with Ben Askren. I thought he knew <laughs> right away, you know, no yeah. shock to Ben, sure. uh, you know, body language, everything. He was trying some different things. He kept dipping a lot. There's a lot of grappler, a lot of, um, clinching, which is usually you see a lot of lower level boxers, unless that is their style. There's a lot of grappling but uh you know Tom Fury comes from a good cramp he's been boxing forever so you know Jake took some big shots but yeah I, I'm with Kenny I, I I'm, I'm interested in the MMA stuff now the PFL yeah I think that's gonna be fun he does come from a wrestling background um he does have good boxing skills but I think this is a good lesson that listen I mean this is a guy a couple months ago was calling out Canelo I mean let's fucking pump the brakes huh. you know what I mean yeah uh and I you know it, it it was wasn't my favorite fight the eighth round was the best round obviously there was the the drop slip whatever you want to call it um but yeah listen I mean I, my buddy was sitting there texting me going yeah so Jake Paul's done right like he's over he lost so it's over I said no I mean he could probably lose like three or four and still spin it and he has enough fan base that it's going to be okay um but yeah wasn't my favorite boxing fight I'll, I'll tell you that and and, it, and is that right that he bet his purse like yeah, the so that's what he, yeah he, he's done that his past couple times like oh you're so confident bet your purse yeah. so he made like 25 mil reportedly and tommy fury made four so i think he's just gonna double tom's tommy's to eight is what i but again okay. legally yeah. i don't know how that works yeah, it, yeah. You know, whatever but that's like his mind game like he did that with ben he did that with that yeah right, right. yeah Money does not seem to be an issue for Jake Paul. No. And it's interesting, right? Because I got into mixed martial arts as a boxing journal, right? I was a mm-hmm. boxing radio guy for years. And as I've said to this audience, as Kenny knows, there was a time that I was defending boxing against this avalanche of MMA that was coming. And sure. I felt like I had to stick up for boxing. There's actually old audio of me, like <laughs> denigrating the grappling on oh, the no. boxing show. I know. I hope it never <laughs> repurposes. Right. Because I was so trying to save boxing from this MMA avalanche. And then mm-hmm. obviously I covered my first MMA event in 2007. And I was like, wow, this is much more exciting. But referee involvement in a fight like this is oh. why I don't buy boxing pay-per-views. So Brian, Sort of. Why are you reacting that way? I mean, he made it about himself. It's yeah. ridiculous. He's he knows going in. We got an eight no guy and a six no guy. They're low level guys, and he's taking a point. He's taking another point. It's like, yeah. and he's and he's interfering every single time. It's like, listen, I know they're clinching a lot, but work your way up. Come on, guys, work way. Clap it up. You know, let's yes. go. Okay, break. Yell break sturdily like most of these guys do. He didn't do any of that. He made it about himself. He kept pointing the back of the head. You keep doing it. I didn't see any back of the head shots. That not that many for him right. to be always doing that. And I saw a lot of online criticism about this guy and it was warranted. In my opinion, wow. it, it was a joke. I don't know. I've never seen this guy rep before. Not sure who hired him. Not sure who put him in place, but uh, that's going to be his last big fight. That's for sure. Damn. All right. One more thing that I did just want to get into before we transition to UFC 285. And don't forget, we'll have plenty more coming up later this week on our second episode. But Kenny, Dana White has suggested that he wants Alexander Volkanovsky to now defend his featherweight championship against the interim featherweight champion, Yair Rodriguez. Obviously, there is some sort of support for an immediate rematch between Islam Akashev and Alexander Volkanovsky. I just wanted to get your thoughts on this, because for me, I think this is more a statement about Dana White's intimate promotional knowledge about when he can actually get these athletes to turn around. 
Volkanovsky wants to fight four times this year. That sounds ambitious to me. But if he's even going to fight three times this year, I think his next fight has to be against Yair Rodriguez. I don't believe Islam Makhachev is going to turn around here in three or four months. And I think now there's going to be promotional pressure on Yair Rodriguez to get back in there in three or four months, unify the featherweight titles. I feel like his statement is much more rooted in the belief that he can get Yair to sign in three or four months than he can get Islam to sign. And I just want to get your thoughts on that. John, I think that's those are certainly factors. I also think you you, you don't get a Yair Rodriguez and uh, Alexander Volkanovsky type fight all the time. And when you do, and when those guys can collide, when you give two very dynamic fighters who have very large fan bases from yeah. two different countries – you don't want to miss out on that opportunity to promote that fight. And if Volkanovsky goes up and makes the proper adjustments and beat Islam Mahashev, that Yair Rodriguez-Volkanovsky uh, fight potentially goes away for good, right? So I think that when, you, when you're a promoter and you have two guys like that, yeah. uh, you got to make that fight, and you got to make that fight ASAP. Uh, and you're right. Islam Mahashev, I think, is complicating the situation. He doesn't want to fight as often. Volkanovsky does. Let's go. Yeah. I'm for it. Yeah. Right. Anything on that for us? Yeah. I mean, I think if Yair didn't look as good as he did and he squeaked that one out, I don't think this is going to be on the table. I think you run it back, but he looked like a killer and Volkanovsky. We already know is a killer. Yeah. So I think it makes sense. You're right. And, and with Islam, I don't think he likes cutting weight all that often. It's a big weight cut for him. I know he struggles. So a quick turnarounds is an issue. And with Volkanovsky wanting to stay busy, let's throw in Yair and then possibly run Islam uh, late summer, early fall, yeah. whatever they want to do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I love it. I'm, I'm all here for it. I can't wait for that fight. A lot of Yair Rodriguez's career has been defined by inactivity mm -hmm. and these long sort of bouts of inaction. So I really think it's interesting on the strength of a performance like that, right? Brian Ortega and Josh Emmett, he's added those scalps. Can they get him to turn around in three months to pacify Volkanovsky? I don't know the answer to that question. Right. All right, I want to bring on our executive producer, Cody Merrill, right now for a pronunciation of the week before we get to the main event challenge. What's up, Cody? What? What? Was that? that was interesting, huh? You sounded like Alvin and the Chipmunks. That, that? Yeah, that was a chipmunk sound. Yeah. yeah. All right, I think we're going to bail on the pronunciation of the week because I just hear <clears throat> Alvin and the Chipmunks. Whoa. <laughs> What is going on? I think he's at his girlfriend's house today, and uh, now he's on mute. So essentially what I was going to do for the pronunciation of the week, and I've already said the name several times. Cody, I really wanted to hear your dulcet tones today, but Shavkat. Yes. Oh, there you go. No, no, you're good, good now. You, right. you had chipmunk voice for a little bit. Technical issues. Oh, my God. A lot of issues. We're in five different locations today. So Shavkat, right? I hear a lot of people mess up his last name. And there are certain names of fighters from Kyrgyzstan or Azerbaijan or Russia, right? Alexander Romanov. People want to say Romanov. Islam Makhachev. People want to say Makhachev. So figured we'd get ahead of this one for the masses because this Shavkat character seemingly is all the rage. So, Cody, how do you pronounce the... Uh, the name of the budding welterweight contender. Well, if I get this one wrong, you should probably get my ears checked, right? Because Shavkat Rachmanov has been said about 10 ah, times in the program. Yeah. You absolutely nailed it. Yeah, so we're going second syllable here. Shavkat Rachmanov. So not Rachmanov. And uh, hopefully that helps everybody with the navigation this weekend. Thanks, Cody. Easy lifting for Cody Merrow today. What's that? No, you know it's fine. You just gave me the W. Oh yeah, let's hear. It. No, let's hear the man, the myth, the legend, Shavkat Rachmanov. 
Шавкат Рахмонов. Шавкат Рахмонов. Yeah, me too, bro. Oh no, yeah. Rachmonov. Yeah. Here, like a Mona in there. All right. Shabkat Rachmonov. Final answer. Guys, real quick before I get out of here, though, like I know you're talking about Paul Fury. I actually have my my Jake Paul contract. It just came in the in the fax machine this morning. There you go. Contract. So I'm just gonna. Go ahead. Perfect. There we dude. go. He's gonna, luck, trying bro. to get back yeah. on the Jake Paul train. <laughs> Did you guys happen to see the uh, the post from Platinum Mike Perry? Right, the it script? looked like a fake yeah. script. Yeah, you you think there's anything there, Bry? I don't. Think uh, so. I I hope not. I mean, listen, there's been a lot of speculation. I'm not a conspiracy guy. I don't. You know, I live in a bubble. I don't think fights are fixed, but. You know, when you got a lot of money on the line of a guy who, you know, if he loses, he loses some credibility, you know, but no, I think Mike Perry is just having some, a good time or at least someone slipped that Mike Perry's Mike Perry and he goes, oh shit. Yeah. Let me post this real quick. So I don't, I, yeah. I don't think there's much to it. It was well done. Whoever came up with that document, yeah, it was. fake or real, it was well done. All right. Let us get into some predictions here for UFC 285. You guys know for pay-per-views, I make these guys pick at least five fights. I think we're going eight deep today. First, we're going to update the standings, though. Second or third perfect week on the year for Team Florian. Ken Flo goes 4-0, plus and plus $455. That included his underdog whack on Brendan Allen. So okay. Kenny is now minus $195 for the year. But keep in mind, these guys have to pick all the fights. So both guys are in the black when it comes to their individual wallets. Brian Petrie was at minus 310 going in, goes two and two, but there was a two unit loss there on Dontel Mays. I know you guys kind of wanted me to bury that. Uh, <laughs> no, and Andre needs. Give me the heat. So minus 200 for Petrie overall, minus yeah. 510 on the year, and Team Florian yeah. now takes the lead. Bry, Dontel yeah. Mays, you had to be pretty frustrated with that effort. <laughs> Last leg of the parlay, I had a chance to hedge because it was it was even money going in, and I said, "No, nah, I'm riding with D1 Dontel. He's gonna huh. he's gonna take it." And he just, I mean, you know, training with John Jones, and he he just he looked, fell flat. It was just a flat performance. Yeah. There's nothing you can do. I mean, he just striking looked terrible. If I'm gonna be honest with you, it did not look good. And and Sakai, you know, took over. I mean, I don't know how you can't get your head up from that, but you know, he got knee in his head about 1500 times before he did anything about it, but whatever. I'm not going to go too much. I, I hit some good live bets in the beginning, but then that, that kind of killed me. So yeah. I got to be honest with you. When, when you, when you picked maze and then yeah. you're like, I'm going to put another unit. I was yeah. shaking in my shoes. I'm like, did I just pick the wrong? Nah, dude, know? I was confident too. Yeah. People were, people were DMing me going, really? Dante, really? Yeah. I'll ride with you. Really? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> So, I egg on my face. About that one. Yeah. And it's always funny for me. I'll be like, hey, Kenny, you went 4 and 0 plus 500 bucks. He's like, oh, really? Like, kid has no <laughs> clue sometimes that he swept the fucking board. All right. I'm very excited. <laughs> UFC 285, Jones versus Gone. We have the one more sleep goat merchandise out this week. Millions.co if you want that. That's of course, amazing. I forgot to bring my shirt. <clears throat> but we have eight selections to make, and we are going to begin with a prelim live on ESPN2 in the flyweight division. 15th-ranked Amanda Hibas, minus 130. Eighth-ranked Viviani Araujo is plus 110. As some of you know, Hibas, who is number nine at strawweight, by the way, was to face Tracy Cortez in early December. That fight went away on weigh-in day. So now Hibas faces Araujo. Brian Petrie, your thoughts on this one? 
I think it's a must win for both, right? I mean, I think there's some nice little stakes here on the prelims. I mean, this card stacked top to bottom. I love it. I'm going over it right now. And, uh, you know, it, it's an unbelievable card. And Arujo, she came in the UFC on fire, right? Big, huge third round knockout. Big power has not been able to replicate that, has not had a finish in the UFC since. Kind of lumpy, a little up and down, a little up and down. And then, man, he boss, affectious, adorable. Everyone loves her. Everyone's talking about her from her gym. One and two in her last three. The minute the step up in competition got big, it's when she started dropping these fights. But I do think he boss, who's 29 hours, Jujo's 36. He boss has a little bit of a, I want to say a chin issue, but there's some durability questions. She has been finished twice by strikes. You know, right now you guys got her. And then she, outside the UFC, she got uh, taken out as well. So I, I'm a little worried about that. But if she mixes everything up, She's more athletic. She's faster, and she really mixes everything up. I think she can win this fight here. Uh, I think this fight is he boss. I think it goes to a decision, and I think it's going to be quite competitive. But give me a man to he boss. All right, Kenny Brian Petrie likes Amanda Hebos. On the other side, you have Viviani Araujo coming off a main event five round decision loss too soon to be title challenger Alexa Grasso. Big fight at flyweight. Ken Flo, which way are you going? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, Brian kind of nailed the breakdown. Um, I'm going to go a different way, though. Uh, I, I think that Heba sometimes uh, gets caught up trading a little bit too much, and she's very proud, and she's very tough, and she ends up kind of getting into some exchanges which don't suit her. Now, if Hebos takes Arujo down uh, and decides to, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, enact a very heavy grappling game plan, this is Hebos' fight, and, and I think she'll be okay. I don't think it's going to be easy even if she does that necessarily but i think that's where she wins this fight um uh, but uh Araujo is tough um i think uh she understands how important this fight is for her um i think if he boss loses i think she'll be okay if Araujo loses i don't know if she'll still be around so mm-hmm. uh just because he boss is very popular with everybody and and uh, you know i think she could still get better. I think she's got a lot of potential there. But, um, yeah, I, I like Araujo. I, I, I think it's close enough where I'm willing to take a risk. I'm feeling the dog in me this week. You are Ooh. feeling the dog. Yeah. yeah. Kid got the podcast workout in. And right now, by the way, Ken Flo did get Araujo at plus 110 for our purposes. But right now on DraftKings Sportsbook, Amanda Hebos minus 115, Viviani Araujo minus 105. So that oh, is moving them. towards okay. uh, yeah. Vivi. All right. At middleweight, Drikus Duplessis, minus 230, taking on Derek Brunson, plus 195. Duplessis, of course, as you guys know, out of South Africa. He has started 4-0 in the UFC and has won six in a row overall. Brunson, exactly 10 years and 10 days older than Duplessis. He makes his 21st UFC appearance, having won five of six. One quick thing, Brian, before I... Toss the baton your way. Just ran into Greg Jones at the airport last night, and he said pre-COVID, Drikas Duplessis actually went to Sanford MMA, now Killcliffe FC, but then never came back after the global pandemic. So hmm. they have some knowledge in this camp, right? Greg yeah. Jones is going to be in the corner of Derek Brunson this weekend, and they're excited for the challenge. Your thoughts on Duplessis? Pretty big favorite here against DB. Yeah, absolutely. This fight has my brain in a pretzel. It's a Wetzel pretzel up here in this fucking noggin of mine. Uh, I watched Duplessis live against Darren Till and I wasn't blown away. I think he's scrappy. He's durable. He's got some skills, but he's never like jumped off the page. And if I hate to be that guy, but if Darren Till was a quarter of the fighter used to be, he wins that night. He just does. Um, he's got an impressive resume though, 18 and two. And, and he wants to smoke with everyone. He wins. He calls anyone out. Right. And Derek Brunson, 39, he's kind of at the end of the road. He's flirted with a little bit, but he went on that five, five win streak where he was finishing people and he was out wrestling out cardio and everyone. 
And then he run into Jerry Cannonier, which, you know, Jerry Cannonier is a whole different man, you know? So blonde Brunson, his cardio needs to be on point as on point as his blonde hair, because I think Duplessis who is sporting a 50% takedown, uh, takedown rate hasn't really fought a wrestler in the UFC quite yet. Right. Darren still got a takedown on him. I think Brunson can exploit that. I know Duplessis is pretty good working to his feet cardio pretty well, but I don't love his striking. It's very jerky. It's very rushy. And I think Darren, uh, Derek Brunson can take advantage of that. And you're hanging plus plus one ninety five on me. Give me blunt Brunson by the dog here. I'm feeling the dog too, Kenny. Let's go. All right. Brian Petrie with conviction likes Derek Brunson plus plus one ninety five. remains to be seen as to whether or not it's going to be blonde Brunson feels like maybe he is going to do away with that look now that he's lost unless you're seeing something on social media but to that end right Brunson had won five in a row going into the Jared Cannonier fight that was UFC 271 February 2022 then he was going to face Jack Hermanson late last year Brunson was forced to pull out so it has been a year-long layoff Mm -hmm. for Brunson Duplessis obviously trying to keep the momentum going after a big win at UFC 282 not all that long ago Ken Flo Brunson the dog Duplessis the favorite which way you going I'm trying to keep my poker face. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm praying that he goes with uh, Duplessis. But he, no, no, he's he's too sharp. I mean, what a freaking breakdown. Literally, hey, give me the ball, bro. He dropped all the goods. He broke every single thing down. I have zero to add. And I truly mean it. Amazing breakdown, dude. Um, Yeah, I, I like Brunson here as well. I think there's a tremendous amount of value People are looking at the wins, and they're not looking at the style of fight. Can Duplessis win? Yes, sure. But um, I I think he's a little too reckless with his striking sometimes. It's wild. Um, And he tends to wear people out, especially in that clinch. Can he do that against Brunson? I don't think so. Um, So I like Brunson here as well. I think there's a lot of value that way. Brunson has made a career winning fights like this. We'll see if he can cash plus 195 at DraftKings Sportsbook right now. All right, Kenny, we will lead with you on the featured prelim. It comes your way at Bantamweight, the former champion, Cody Garbrandt, back to this division, and he returns as a minus 170 favorite against Trevin, five-star Jones, plus 145. Jones stepping in here for an injured Julio Arce. Both guys need a win, Ken Flo. You think Garbrandt or Jones gets it? I, I, I like this fight for Cody Garbrandt way more than uh, Julio Arce. I think that um, for Trevin Jones, you know, he he's, uh, you know, falling on hard times, uh, you know, doesn't have a whole lot of uh, uh, wins right now in the UFC, but that also means he's probably going to be dangerous, right? He needs this win and getting a win over a big name like Cody Garbrandt um, would certainly keep him in the UFC uh, and show that he's still got, you know, uh, some stuff to offer uh, in the division. Cody Garbrandt, though, um, of course, you know, hasn't been uh, too hot himself. I think that uh, Cody gets way too emotional uh, when he fights, uh, makes some poor decisions. But, man, as far as an athlete and and the kind of skills that he does possess, we all know that, uh, you know, he he can be at the top of the division. He has proven that before. Uh, His performance over Dominic Cruz was one of the best performances I have seen in a championship fight period. Um, So Cody is absolutely capable. I think um, if he's able to be disciplined during this fight and let the, let the fight kind of um, materialize, not force knockouts, not try to force and do things that aren't there. Cody wins this fight. So I like Cody here. All right. Last fight for Cody Garbrandt was against Kai Kata front UFC 269. That was December of 2021. And to Kenny's point, Bri, Jones has fallen on hard times. He's lost three in a row. Last win actually came at UFC 259 all the way back in March of that 
2021 year. You going Trevin Jones or Cody Garbrandt, my man? First off, people bang on me in the comments for nodding my head a lot when Kenny talks. It's fucking Kenny Floyd. Uh, the game. I mean, of, come course on. of course I'm going to agree with him. And he literally had, he said what I have written down here. Cody's performance against Dom Cruz is one of my top five performances of all time. Dom Cruz is the man in way. Go. And that performance was unbelievable. And I'm so excited to see that back. Round one versus TJ in the first fight was very similar. Then he kind of lost it. And we've never really seen it back. And I have mixed feelings about Cody fighting. If I'm being honest with you, I like Cody a lot. And, and I'm not in the position to retire any fighter. But it's just, you know, a lot of knockouts, they, they stack up. He had a couple in his amateur career as well. A lot in his pro career. But he's so talented. You know what I mean? And it's just, if that just, the chin just plagued him. But I like what he's doing. When he went to Mark Henry, kind of branched out from Team Alpha Mel, went to 25. He's trying new things, trying to find success, but he's not there. Jones has power, but I think it's a little overstated. Only three KO wins. He's more well-rounded of a fighter. So his power, I think, might be a little overstated, but his chin is not. The guy doesn't go away. He's in your face. He is going to be stalking you the whole time. Uh, Cody should style him. Cody is incredibly athletic. He's fast. Uh, if if he just stays within himself, like Kenny says, just let the fight come to him, kind of let it go, he could win. But I'm going to take a tactic here from my, my my boy, John Anik. Cody's an Ohio guy. I, I like Cody. It bothers me that he's on this run. I'm going to go Jones to fade myself yes. for, a win, for a win for Cody because I think Cody needs it. And again, incredible talented dude. I just, I, I root for him a lot. I love it. All right, let's get to the pay-per-view main card opener. You can see it live on ESPN+. Plus. At middleweight, Bo Nickel minus 1,500 as he makes his UFC debut against Jamie Pickett, who comes back at plus 900. I don't even know where to begin here. Like, what if Jamie Pickett beats Bo Nickel? Could you imagine? Like, if I was in your seats, guys, right? Yeah. You could do a five-unit play, 7,500 to pay mm-hmm. 500 on Bo Nickel. He's minus 1,500. Mm-hmm. He's been a pro for like seven months. Sure. But Jamie Pickett on the other side can produce the win of a career I think I've said publicly that it's a little bit of a mind fuck for Pickett and for Jay Perrin against Raul Rosas Jr. when you feel like maybe they're sending you out to be like a lamb to slaughter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Brian, what do you think about the price on Bo Nickel? Minus 1500 on DraftKings Sportsbook as he makes his debut. Price makes sense. I get it. First off, Jamie, I'm not going to talk about a lot about you in this breakdown. I apologize. You seem like a great guy. You're from one of the greatest cities in the world, Wilmington, North Carolina. Blue collar guy. I love your story. But this is the Bo show. I am a Bo Nickel guy. And the reason being is I think he's ultimately talented. I have DMs from five years ago trying to get him on the podcast before he even thought about MMA. MMA, I'm an MMA fan. I'm a UFC fan. I want the best for the sport. And over these years, we we as the MMA community have lost out on these five-star blue chip prospects. They go to WWE, like Gable Stevenson. We never got a David Taylor in the UFC. We never got a Kyle Steiner. We never got a Kale Sanderson, who's an amazing, probably the greatest American wrestler. We got Joel Romero at 36. You know, we got Brock Lesnar after the WWE thing. Like, we're not getting Gordon Ryan. You know what I mean? He does, he's not interested. This is a guy we got, and we got him, and he's yeah. that good. And I know he's fought kind of nobodies. He's three and zero, and I don't want to. I don't want to rush it, but I'm gonna rush it. I'm on uh, the boat train here. My freight train that I'm driving has no brakes. Uh, when Bo Nickel fought again on the Contender Series, and he was in a position where he jumped to his back as a wrestler and locked in a triangle choke, was impressive. When I saw him grapple Gordon Ryan, the yes. king, with two weeks of jujitsu training. 
that's a guy that I want to root for. That's a guy I'm getting behind. So I think Bo Nickel by whatever he wants, really. I really truly think it's going to be by submission. Jamie Pickett, takedown offense is 31%, you know, uh, and, and has given up some submissions. He's a durable guy, but I think Bo's going to take what he wants. Give me Bo uh, by submission. Can we do a 20-unit parlay? Can I or play? Can I give you my house note? Uh, no, it's way too high to lock anything up. I'm going to play a Bo Nickel ticket. You have to. It's his first fight in the UFC. I have a tattoo bet with my buddies that if he doesn't become world champion one day, they can tattoo oh. wherever they want on me. So wow. I got a lot, yeah, I got a lot riding on this. So I, I'm all in on Bo. Well, that's why I kind of led the conversation with, could you imagine if we're sitting here next Monday and Jamie Pickett has beaten Bo Nickel, right? Because I can tell you, if Bo Nickel loses to Jamie Pickett, you're probably getting a tattoo. Right? 100%. Because 100%. Jamie Pickett, yeah. you're probably right. not going to beat you know, Alex Padeta or anybody else. Right. Jamie Pickett had a win last January. Then he dropped two in a row to close out his year. Bo Nickel, obviously, the wrestling credentials are off the charts. The 2019 Big Ten Athlete of the Year, one of the best collegiate athletes in this country back in 2019. Two submission wins on Dana White Contender Series, Kenny, in a combined one minute and 54 seconds. But, like, I could never as a sports better go to the window and ban a huge ticket on Bo Nickel. But in this setting, right, it's make-believe money. Like you can go, you can go seventy five hundred bucks on Bo Nickel. Now, if he loses, you lose the main event challenge probably for the year. Uh, but Kenny, how do you handicap Nickel and Pickett, and ultimately which way you go? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I've been watching Bo Nickel wrestle for a long time. Uh, absolute stud over at Penn State, uh, trained by the great Kale Sanderson, uh, and was just such a force um, and, and had such a unique style of wrestling as well. So it showed that he's an intelligent guy, truly understands grappling. And once he was committed to mixed martial arts, um, you could see he's been putting in the work and, you know, he's going to be tough to beat. I don't care who you are. And if we're being honest, let's call this fight what it is. This was set up for Bo Nickel to look mm -hmm. good on this pay-per-view, right? I mean, Jamie Pickett, uh, he, he, I, when you're looking at this fight, you're like, okay, well, let, let me just look at this. Honestly, I, is there anything in Jamie's game that tells me he could defeat Bo? It, there just isn't, unfortunately. You're, you're looking for something, maybe some kind of special power or some kind of thing, maybe like a some kind of Shazam type submission. Yeah. It's just not there. And, and right. Bo Nickel is going to be a problem for guys in the top 10, perhaps right now. It doesn't have the experience, mm -hmm. but uh, these are the kind of fights that uh, you know he's going to get experience-wise that's going to help build that confidence and that skill set uh, and, and that cage time, which is so essential as you ascend uh, towards that top 10. Uh, type ranking. So uh, Bo Neckel wins this one. Um, you know, it, it'd be it'd be cool to see Jamie perform well and maybe pull yeah. off this massive upset. Uh, but let's Bo! Bo, let's Bo, Bo, let's Bo. <laughs> And I do like the last thing you said, because I do hope that Jamie Pickett is competitive, because I think that would yeah. be a huge feather in his cap. But I do agree with a lot of the sentiments you guys are saying. Kind of reminds me of my time back on MMA Live when Ken Flo's getting ready to fight Clay Guida. I'm thinking, how's Clay Guida fucking win this fight? <laughs> I just don't know. No way to win, Clay. All right. At lightweight, how about this, Bri? Mataj Gamrot, minus 170. Jalen Turner, plus 145. So I ran into Turner at the host hotel at one of these events like six months ago. He's been out since last July. Did have some injuries that he needed to clean up. I believe one of them surgically, if I'm not mistaken. And he was to put his five-fight winning streak on the line here against Dan Hooker. But Hooker broke a bone and is out. And now it's the in-stepping Mataj Gamrot. He'll try to bounce back from a loss to Benny Daryush in Abu Dhabi last October. Gamrot the favorite, Turner the dog, Brian Petrie. Which way are you going? 
Yeah, this happens sometimes in UFC where the replacement fighters, I think it's a better fight. I mean, listen, no no knock on Dan Hooker. Gamrot is going to be the biggest test for Turner because the only time we've seen Turner besides the Vincente Luque fight have trouble with Steamroller. Steamroller took him down and controlled him the whole time. He's obviously said he's fixed that. He's on a four-fight, four-finish win streak, uh, or four-finish win streak, excuse me. I know he's on a five-fight win streak, but uh, – Against really top guys, again, not not against scrubs. Like he's knocking out Brad Riddell, and you know he's taking next home. Uh, I like this dude a lot. And Gamrot, you know, against the Ben fight, I feel like he got exposed a little bit. Impressive record. He's looking UFC. He rushes everything, and I think the range is going to give him some problems here against Turner. I mean, Turner's massive for uh, for lightweight, and if he rushes in with a takedown, there's a neck right there. If he rushes in, there's a knee waiting for you. There's a punch waiting for you. I was surprised we're getting Turner at plus one forty five. I get it. Uh, Gamrot is a guy that could cause problems for Turner with the wrestling, the grappling, the cardio. And uh, Turner's been a, uh, been just a hammer lately. So let's see if he can be a nail. But I just I, I can't I can't go against the hot hand at Turner. I think that, I think this guy's an absolute dog in there. Give me another dog shot here. I, I like Turner by finish too. Uh, I don't know knockout or, or 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 submission, but some kind of inside the distance for sure. All right, Kenny Jalen Turner plus one forty five the play for Brian Petrie. And when Ryan Spann took a microphone after this main event when Nikita Krylov got delayed, you know he sort of was intimating that he was going to go back into champ camp on Monday. And I do believe for these fighters who are chasing a championship, right? It's like you got to kind of be ready to face all the elite guys. Yeah. I like the fact that Jalen Turner is stepping up here. He was going to be probably a two or three to one favorite against Dan Hooker. Now he's in the role of underdog. But hey, man, if you're going to be the lightweight champion, you're probably going to have to beat Mataj Gamrot. How do you think Jalen Turner handles this stylistic challenge, Ken Flo, and ultimately which way do you fall? Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. A and we have to ask, why was he a favorite against Dan Hooker, and why is he an underdog against uh, Gamrot? You know, uh, I think that's a very important question. And I, I share a lot of the sentiment that Brian Petrie has, especially in regards to Jalen Turner. Um, I, I used to follow every UFC fighter when I was calling the fights. I would follow every UFC fighter out there. I stopped doing that. It was just it, I, I don't care about their timeline, if I'm being honest. Right, right. Um, when I see Jalen uh -huh. Turner fight, I watched him fight. I'm like, I got to follow this guy. I think he's going to be something. He's mm -hmm. something special. Um, his size, um, I, I think his martial arts attitude, um, he executes when, when the lights are bright. The improvements that he's made over time uh, since uh, losing to Frivola. I've been very impressed with this kid, the maturity, everything. Um, however, um, I have to put the emotions aside because I do think Gamrot is a very tough stylistic matchup for him. Um, you know, just because you know what Gamrot's going to do, and it's very tough to stop it. You know, Benny Daryush is a special grappler. He's got a ton of experience, and um, I think that even him, he blew me away with how well he did against Gamrot. Can Jalen Turner do that at this stage of the game? I'm not so sure. Um, if he does, I would love to see it. I would love to be surprised, but I don't know if he has that level of experience with his grappling. I think he does have some threats submission-wise, but I think that Gamrot is very good when it comes to uh, positional exchanges, where he doesn't put himself in a, in a tremendous amount uh, of trouble, really. You, you just don't really see it. Uh, and I think this is a favorable matchup for him, not taking it, you know, um, you know, with a full camp necessarily. So I think that's uh, favorable to Turner. But I think Gamrot is the favorite here because of his grappling experience and his ability to force it into that realm. 
And I think uh, Turner's going to have a tough time just moving uh, and, and being successful consistently over time when it comes to the transitional grappling game. So I uh, would love to be surprised. I do, I, he absolutely has a big advantage on the feet. No question about that with his reach and power and speed. But uh, I think Gamrot's just not going to allow him to do that. So I like Gamrot here by decision. Really good b- breakdown. And yeah, I mean, that Kenny Florian Instagram follow is hard to come by. Like, the dude just doesn't <laughs> hand out follows. Like, John Annick will fucking follow anybody. Careful, not the case. And you're right, too. I just, I kept taking notes when you talk about Jalen Turner, right? The coachability, the MMA attitude. Like, there's so much to love about this total package. And I love the fact that he's taken this fight because certainly yes. on paper, it would appear to be a more difficult one than the one that was originally presented. Definitely, and I would have said uh, on the record, I would have, I would have picked him against Hooker. I, yeah. I, I like that fight yeah. with, with uh, Dan Hooker. Yeah. All right. Of all the predictions that I was going to get from you guys today, I think I was most curious about this fight. It's a featured bout at welterweight. Shavkat Rachmanov minus five hundred. I would say prohibitively favored here against Jeff Neal, who is plus four hundred. As you guys know, this fight initially was to go down January 14th. Neil was forced to pull out. UFC kept the matchup together. And really a good test, I think, Brian, for the 16 mm-hmm. and old Rachmanov. He is a yeah. minus 500 betting favorite Saturday night. Love the fight. Hate the line. Yeah. Jeff Neal plus 400 is a value boy's wet dream. You hammer it. <laughs> what? Rachmanov is an absolute nightmare for anyone. He's just a casual 16 and 0 with 16 fucking finishes. That's all. No big deal. Fighting really good competition. God, the MMA math part of my brain's going, okay, they both fought Neil Magny. One destroyed him, one lost to him. You know what I mean? And you never go to MMA math because you'll get lit the fuck up. But the part of my brain's going there with that, right? Jeff Neal's striking is fantastic. 85% takedown defense as well. Quite confident coming in, too. A couple sound bites from a month ago saying, I'm going to run through this guy. Why does everyone think this guy's great? You know, I, if I beat this guy, I don't belong with you. He's, he's making these quotes, and it's like, whoa, 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 buddy, let's slow down. This guy's very, very good. You know, when Rachmanov hit the UFC, I was more excited for Rachmanov or what he's done outside the UFC than I was for someone like a Chimaev. Chimaev's lit the world on fire, but outside the UFC, besides that one win over Khabib's guy, I thought he was kind of lukewarm, and then obviously I, I was wrong. He's amazing, but Rachmanov coming to the UFC, I was, I was excited. But listen, Jeff Neal at plus 400, you take the shot, you move on, right? No, nah, I can't! Huh. I can't! Give me Rachmanov. He's a special talent. He truly is, and I think you know he dictates his fight. I think his striking is good enough and he's long enough. And I think he wins everywhere. Um, I'm going to say by sub. I think he gets a finish because I love a good streak. Let's go 17 and 0 with 17 finishes. Got to get him in the video game. Shavkat Rachmanov yeah. minus 500. He is 10th in the world. Jeff Neal, number seven. We mentioned off the top of the show that Jeff Neal certainly understands the value of a win over this man. That's why he was eager to take this fight when others were not. Ken Flo, what do you think he can do with it? Uh, Petrie with another great breakdown leaves me no room to, to break down anything else. No, I, I listen. I, I it was beautiful, man. I, I think he's spot on. Juicy, juicy numbers here for Jeff Neal. You know, getting Jeff Neal a plus four hundred, you don't see it every day. The problem is, how the hell are we supposed to go against the consistency of Rachmana? How? how? How do you do it? Are you looking for some kind of vulnerability in his last few fights or even over the course of his career? Good luck finding it. He, he, he's just he's a problem everywhere. And I think he's going to be all over Jeff Neal. He's not going to give Jeff Neal those chances that sometimes you see even guys in the top 10, top five, you know, uh, open up sometimes. You know, you'll see guys that like they're doing good and all of a sudden, you know, they make some kind of silly mistake. 
Rachmanov um, is not cut from that cloth, John Anik. Uh, right. He just he he just doesn't make those mistakes. He he does not leave any doors open for you. Uh, and I think he's taking this extremely seriously. Uh, this is a huge fight for him. Uh, and these are the kind of fights that elevate. You beat a guy like Jeff Neal, you get respect. And um, I, I think he understands that. Uh, Rachmanov, I think, could be something special. That division is just nuts. But uh, I just I, I can't take that risk right now. It's juicy. It's tempting. But Rachmanov is uh, Rachmanov. Dude, when Kenflo pushes heavyweight before the show, I mean, how about oh the my, I was just thinking that, John. Yeah. This guy's being nice to me. He's like, oh, BP's down five units. Let me get a compliment here. This dude's on fucking fire right now. All right. Let us get in to the co-main event for the undisputed UFC women's flyweight title. Valentina Shevchenko, minus 610. Alexa Grasso, plus 460. Title defense number eight for Shevchenko. First became champion all the way back in 2018. I mean, how methodical Ken Flo is Valentina, right? Two title defenses every year. Now she draws Mexico's Alexa Grasso, who has been great in this division. She's going to have to be even greater this Saturday night. Ken Flo, we'll start with you. Who wins the co-main event? Yes, sir. Um, as I've been thinking more and more about this fight, I've been questioning myself. Um, am, am I overlooking Alexa Grasso? Does she have a shot? I, I think she does. Um if she's able to take advantage of the slow start of Shevchenko, which we typically see, uh, Grasso can get off to a quick start here. And maybe, you know, maybe, maybe, just maybe she gets those first three rounds and then Shevchenko starts to come back. The problem is Shevchenko has so much experience. And I think Grasso's best bet is really trying to stick and move, getting in and getting out against a Shevchenko, who also has some very decent footwork. Um, so. This is tough. I also wouldn't be surprised to see Shevchenko actually take the role of a grappler. Uh, may, maybe have that same approach that she had against someone like Andrade. Grasso has greatly improved her grappling skill, um, but I think on her back, she would certainly have some problems uh, against uh, what I think is going to be a larger, stronger Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, she's not too shabby on the feet either, by the way, but Grasso might be a little bit quicker in, in certain exchanges with her hands uh but uh, again when you're talking about consistency experience uh big fights five rounders who am i supposed to pick to beat shevchenko who, who can i point to that i say this is the person that's going to do it i don't think there's a lady out there that can at this stage of the game i think grasso can pose some interesting problems for shevchenko especially early on but i think shevchenko is just too good to experience here guys yeah. Shevchenko minus 610, Bri. Perhaps she would be minus 310 or less against somebody like Aaron Blanchfield. Sure. But this looks pretty prohibitive to me. We got a lot of big favorites at UFC 285. Your thoughts on Grasso getting her first championship opportunity here in a few days? It's, it's kind of nice seeing Valentina under 1,000, though. You know? right, I mean, right. It's still pretty high, but it's nice seeing her, you know, a little bit playable, kind of. I feel bad for Grasso. After Blanchfield and after Suarez, I feel like she's just getting overlooked a little bit. People are talking about those girls, but you know, she's the one with the title fight and she's great in the pocket. Her boxing is crispy in the pocket. She's pretty good on the ground as well. It's obviously Kenny addressed it. She's getting better. But when Valentina gets on top, she's heavy. She's heavy on top. And I don't know if that's where Grosso wants to be. Grosso wants to be in the pocket exchanging. Good luck trying to get Valentina to do that. And I feel like this is a Valentina that's like, you know, everyone's dogging her after the Talos Santos fight a little bit, right? And this is, oh, you must have forgot who I am. I see Valentina coming out aggressive here. I, I see a lot of kicks, a lot of, of fiery punches, good takedowns, cardio always on point. 
Um, Grasso, the only way I can see her winning, obviously she, she's a fantastic talent. She can catch Valentina on the feet. It's all possible, but really just trying to push the pace and stay in her face in the pocket. Problem is, is Shevchenko's footwork, distant management. She's going to be where she wants to be the entire time. So I'm going to go Shevchenko here as well. Uh, really? And then, uh, and then uh, I think, I think probably, you know what, let's f- f- the finish. You know what? You must've forgot Shenko uh, finish fourth round. Wow. Real quick, better yeah. chance to win, Bry, Jeff yeah. Neal or Alexa Grasso? Ooh, Jeff Neal. Okay, that was going to be our poll question today, but yeah, uh, I think I Jeff Neal. Yeah. All right, we have one final prediction to make for the undisputed UFC heavyweight championship, and I want to go four wide here as we bring the great Ray Longo into our main event discussion. This wow. man has been waiting. Wait, you guys are crushing it, man. Ray. You let me tell you, you can keep me back there another round. <laughs> well, thank you, buddy. We uh we butchered the clock a little bit. I'm actually already in Las Vegas for UFC two eighty five and oh, we'll uh, didn't want to keep you waiting too long. How you doing? Good. How are you doing is the question. Last time I saw you, I don't know if you could even see me, but how are you feeling? Yeah, I had the whole double conjunctivitis thing going man, for our interview with Nas last week, right? Man. So that was brutal, man. Like, as soon as we got off the air, I took my contact lenses back out because it's hard to do the show with the glasses and the glare and the no, fucking headset. Let me tell you some contacts and conjunctivitis, they don't go no together. Good. No, good. So yeah. no, no good. good. Yeah, no good. You got to get those contacts. Get them out. Throw them out. But Longo knows me so well and can pick up on my mood and my disposition. Yeah. So he's like, oh, you're a little bit curt today. And I wasn't oh. trying to be curt. And then some of the listeners were like, you're looking down a lot more than normal. It's like, dude, my eyes are fucking bleeding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, no, I felt really, I felt really bad for you. Yeah. So I wanted to ask a question to all three of you before we get the predictions from Petrie and Ken Flo, and then we'll get BP on out of here. But have you guys seen any of the footage of John Jones that has been out there? The training footage, oh yeah, the way he just sort of tossed Walt Harris aside. I mean, yeah. there, there hasn't been a ton, Bri, but no. And I think I think that's deliberate. I think he's hiding it. What I what I thought was when I first saw that, I was like, who is that? Because his back's the size of my house. Right. He's huge. His upper body's huge. And then he just kind of went in and just tripped Walt Harris with one arm. Uh, yeah, that got me excited. I mean, I was already excited for this week, but that got me really excited. Ray, we haven't seen John Jones with his shirt off as yet, but uh, it looks to be in pretty good shape as he gets ready for his heavyweight debut. What are your thoughts on John Jones coming in this weekend? No, I'm sure he's going to, you know, come in in great shape. I mean, he looks like he's carrying that weight. No problem. That's mm-hmm. definitely his. He's got the frame for it. So I don't think that's a problem. Uh, again, I think he always, if there was any struggle, it was guys that were his size or bigger a little bit that could take away that range factor from him. But uh, I, standing up, I'll still go with Gon, but he could make it an easy fight with the takedowns. And I think uh, Gon would get uh, probably get killed on the floor. But that's... Mm-hmm. Just my opinion. Ken Flo, there are obviously more unknowns and variables, I would think, on the John Jones side here. He's minus 155, Seattle gone plus 135. First fight for Bones since he defeated Dominic Reyes. That was three years ago, UFC 247. For context, that was a few weeks before COVID-19 took over, at least here in the United States. And at that time, Seattle gone was 3-0 and in the UFC. Since Jones has been idle, Gon has been on a tear. He's fought six times, won five of those against high-level heavyweights, Kenny. Jarzinho, Rosenstrike, Alexander Volkov, Derek Lewis, Taito Ibasa, only guy to get him, obviously, Francis Ngannou. I'm fascinated to see which side you guys are going to fall. Kenny, let's start with you. Jones the favorite, Gon the underdog. Who's your pick in the main event? 
Yeah, listen, I think Cyril Gaon is one of the more technical heavyweights that we've had in a very, very long time. His footwork, his intelligence, his ability to move around and lure you into traps. You don't see it all the time uh, in, in heavyweight at the heavyweight division uh, in mixed martial arts. So he is a special talent, and, and that should be acknowledged. However, he's going against a guy in John Jones who has had a long time to put on this weight. If you told me that he had three months, six months, maybe a year to go from two 205 to heavyweight, I would I would be scratching my head a little bit and go, well, let's see what John Jones is going to show up. He's had a long time to put on that muscle, which means he's had a long time to move around at that weight. Um, and he's had a long time to get stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, that's not good. Uh, and also John Jones, when he's hungry, when he's pissed, that's when we see him at his best. When he has new challenges, when he has great challenges, that's when we see him at his best. Am I supposed to believe that Gone is going to stop takedowns against John Jones, a guy who won the takedown battle against Daniel Cormier, and and at times DC, I love you, made it look easy, like kind of like just uh, uh, that was just scary. And um, say what you want about John Jones outside of the cage, this and that. Um, when he's at his best, he really does look like he's the best mixed martial art artist we've ever seen. And I think we're going to see that again. I think he has the striking skills, the length to not be so bothered by someone like Cyril Gaon. But as Ray alluded to, if he gets in that clinch and puts Gaon on his back, it's not going to look close. Okay, um, Cyril Gaon yeah. is not going to be able to uh, get back to his feet. He's not going to be able to submit. Uh, John Jones, you know, do we remember when Vitor Belfort locked up one of the tightest arm bars and looked like he snapped John Jones's arm and John Jones shook him off like he was a little kid, like, get off of me, kid. Uh, and, and he just like, look, just shook him off like it was nothing. This is at heavyweight. You know, Cyril Gaunt isn't that dude. He's not a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, uh, doesn't really want to be there. And also, you know, as smart as Cyril Gaon can be, you also have to wonder about some of the decisions he made against Francis Ngannou and even in that fight against Tai Tuivasa. Mm -hmm. um, there was a little bit of, uh, you know, octagon immaturity, um, and that comes with time. And he's going against a guy in John Jones who has been in so many five-round fights. Uh, and dealing with that kind of pressure and John Jones getting up for something like that. I see this happening. I see John Jones being back in the spotlight, relishing it and performing like I think we all know he can. Uh, I like John Jones here. And at minus 155, come on. Brian Petrie, John Jones, minus 155, Cyril Gaon, plus 135. I'm trying not to read too much into Cyril Gaon's comments this week. We're obviously yeah. going to sit down with him here in a few days, but he's talking to me like a prize fighter who got into this to make money and not like a martial artist. And say sure. what you want about John Jones, but he's a mixed martial artist with an insatiable appetite for martial arts knowledge. And I'm not sure we can say that about Cyril Gaon. All of that being said, there's no denying Gaon's heavyweight credentials. He's more experienced in the weight class. Brian Petrie, we need a main event prediction, and then we'll let you get on your way. I think we got the old bones back. He's tweeting late night about Cyril yeah. Gaon's performances. This is a guy who's hyper-focused, ready for war. And I know you can you, you listen to fighters and they go, oh, I wasn't, you know, because he's coming off two lackluster performances over Dominic Reyes, who hasn't won a fight, and then um, uh, Tiago Santos is no longer in the UFC. But I, I believe it. He said he had no fear. He was just kind of going through the motions. I think this is a reset on his career. Let's go up and fight the big boys. The original plan was let's go up and get Francis. 
Frank's no longer there. So now we get the next best thing is Cyril gone. And I think on the feet, they're similar. They like the front kick. They like to touch each other's kicks a little bit. I think gone might have a little bit better with the boxing, but I mean, it comes down to the wrestling. I remember John Jones going against Brandon Vera, throwing an elbow fight over on top. He finished DC on the ground with some brutal ground and pound Gustafson rematch, brutal ground and pound. If he gets this fight on the, on the ground, his long arms come into play. He's on top. Those elbows are like punches. He's heavy, heavy hips pressure. He's got good chokes and he's even going to be stronger now that he looks what we've seen at least a little bit. He appears to be stronger. And I feel like gone is kind of going through this laxical days. Hey, I'm in the main event fight for the time, which is great. That's his demeanor. But I also feel like you got a killer in there the number one pound for pound fighter who hasn't fought in a little bit and, and wants his dub. So I got John Jones by finish here. And just to kind of flex a little bit, I got him at plus 122. Because he opened at plus 160. I thought that was insane. I nabbed him at plus 120. So minus 165, minus 155, whatever he's currently sitting at right now. That's nice. a gorgeous number. I think John Jones, I know the layoffs a little bit, whatever, but I think the guy's dialed in. I think he, I think he goes in here and I think he gets it to the ground and it's over. All right, we'll see how dialed in you are this weekend with your selections as you try to close that gap on Ken Flo. If you want more from Petrie, why would you not at Brian Petrie MMA on social media? He's got the MMA takes. Yeah, Thank let's you, do it, Petrie. Ken Flo, or excuse me, Ray, Dennis Bazook, get that guy in the yeah, U.S. Yeah, yeah. Big Hopefully. win this weekend, bud. He looked Thank great. You. Thank you very much. Hopefully, he's a, I think that's going to get him in, believe it or not. So I, mean, I think it has to, yeah. That's, yeah what, that's what Shelby wanted. That's what he got. Awesome. We'll see if he backs it up and brings him in, so. Yeah, I'm excited. I loved it. Cool. Thanks. Thank you very much. Appreciate the extra time. We'll talk next week. There he is, Brian Petrie, with us for the main event challenge. So, Ray, tell us a little bit about the Dennis Bazooka performance. And yes, this seems to be an athlete whose path to the UFC is an eventuality. He's not there yet, but obviously went out and took care of business at a high level over the weekend. Yeah, like I, I don't think I've ever met a kid that wants to be in the UFC more than Dennis Bazooka and the ups and downs and the contender series. And he's not on it. It's just, it's been crazy. But I mean, the fact that he got on that plane and flew 15 hours to take a fight, uh, cause it, his ring of combat fight flew, uh, fell, fell through. Uh, it just shows you how, how much he wants it. And, uh, you know, I had talked to Shelby. I called him after I talked to him. I said, look, he wants finishes. And uh, that's what the kid went out and did. So hats off to Bazooka just for the finish, for even taking that trip, you know, fighting up a weight class. I mean, he. Wow. I think if you told him to fight a guy 205, he's fighting a guy 205 to get. He yeah. wants it so bad. I My only hope is that when he gets there, I hope he's as happy as, you know, as the, the journey was, you know, like that wanting to get there but right. yeah so nice really nice kid uh you know we got a couple of really good young guys coming up and let's see what they could do but they're all excited to be there and uh he's one of them and don't confuse what ray's saying as dennis bazooka being one of these happy to be here once he gets right. to the ufc no like, no no yeah he can actually make a run oh, oh no no the kids there first oh no the kid's good but i'm saying i think because of you know winning on the last contender series dana having a bad night you know right, they right. just it's, it's i'm saying the ups and downs he's been through has been crazy and you know and he's always been training with uh al and al joe and those guys so right, right. he knows what it's like to be around the big show he's well prepared when he gets there uh yeah it's just i think it was just bad luck 
that and timing that he hasn't been there. And, you know, I got to the point with same dude, I just don't, I don't know. I, 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 I you can't ask me anymore. Yeah. I, I really don't right. know what right. to do, but when I talked to Sean, he said, look, he needs finishes and that's what he got. So Great. we'll see what happens. I think, uh, you know, you could see he, how bad he wanted that. <laughs> I mean, he oh. just, you know, it's, and that's it's, great that uh, Sean Shelby still takes that Ray Longo phone call when it comes in. Yeah, I well, I talk, talk to him in person, but it doesn't matter oh, either, either way. So maybe he wouldn't take that phone call. We'll see. All right. <laughs> hey, hey, one quick thing on Jones, Kenny. I, I think Jones – I look, first of all, there's always an unknown with him, right, what he's really doing on the outside and if he's training. You know, fighters are crazy, man. They'll tell you they're going to win the title up until the day they're, they're, they're in a wheelchair. So it doesn't – I you know, he could have his old game back. We don't know what's going to happen. I think for me, I think – uh, I think his ego is going to say he wants to get this guy out on his feet. I think that's what he's going to try to do. I think it's not going to go good for him. He's going to revert to the wrestling, which he has, and that's how he wins the fight. But I do think John's ego, and he wants to show everybody, what are you talking about? You know, I'll, I'll stand up with the guy. I just don't think that would be the right thing to do. It's and if he, yeah, and, and you know, Kenny, you know, the other guys he's gotten in trouble, the Derek Lewis's, the Ty Tuavasas, well, they don't have wrestling, so it's yeah. over at that point. They have no plan B. They This guy has a plan B, and it's a pretty freaking good plan B. So if John Jones is on and he's the guy you guys are saying he is and it all makes sense, he'll win that fight easy if he wants to. So when some fighters retire, if their body will allow, they will train in martial arts for the rest of their lives. There's another segment of our roster that when their careers are over yeah they might do some strength and conditioning but they will not be training right and i wanted to get your guys's collective thoughts on cedal gone because dominic cruz suggested in an instagram comment that maybe these are just marketing tactics from cedal gone coming out and saying that he really doesn't train much when he doesn't have a fight on the books but i think maybe there's more to it and i think this sport came very easily to cedal gone he was able to realize an interim ufc heavyweight championship very early on in his career but i just don't know that he has like the love and the appetitive nature that John Jones has for mixed martial arts. So I just wanted to get your thoughts, both of yeah. you guys on those comments, because candidly, a lot is going to be made of them during this week. And I think rightfully so. Yeah. Let me jump in first because I, I forget my thoughts in like a split second. <laughs> I, can't even, I can't, I can't hold. That's why I'm interrupted. I can't hold the thought, uh -huh. but yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent with you, John. I think I see like Cyril gone losing and it's not, not even a big deal. Like, you know, I don't think he'd be upset, you know? Oh yeah. Right learning experience, you know, like that. But you're right as far as the martial arts. I hope it's a marketing ploy. Um, but I, I I think you're dead on with that. I really do. I don't think – Kenny said something about Rachmanov. He takes it serious like a lot of guys do, and a lot of guys don't. A lot of guys just go in there. They like to fight. They're picking up a paycheck. They like the bullshit that comes with it, the Instagram shit, and the fucking right, right, right. all the other – you know what I'm saying? But this is guys that couldn't give a shit about that. They want to win, and they take it serious. Kenny, I, even though I, you probably like brushed over that, that's the point I honed in on, and it's true. Some of these guys are serious. Some of these guys are just jacking off, and they, they go to the gym when they have a fight, and I don't think they give a shit if they win or lose. You know, and not that Cyril's that bad, but I think you're right. He had an easy, not an easy pet, but it came naturally to him. And, you know, he's had some good fights, but 
you know, the first time we saw any type of wrestling activity, it just didn't look good. And I don't think you could make up for that in a couple of months or even a year. So I hope he did his due diligence and he makes it, you know, he's, he's prepared every aspect of that fight, but we'll, we'll sit and see. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's, um, a big point, because when you look at a guy like Cyril Gaunt, he is so talented, perhaps on the level of someone like a John Jones. You know, physically, he's so impressive. This guy won a kickboxing title in, in a very short amount of time, then went into mixed martial arts, undefeated, beating guys that are uh, way more experienced than him very quickly again, had a title shot very quickly, had a great performance against Francis Ngannou until the very end, really. Um, so, yeah, I, I think... It could be true. He's gotten by on so much talent. That is both a blessing and a curse. And I don't know. I, I again, who knows if that's real or not? And and also you got you got to question maybe the the timing of when he put that out. He's trying to maybe weaken the mind of John yeah. Jones. But for me, Ray, you know whoever is whoever that was, and there are people out there that they took it. Um, maybe not so seriously. It was a sport for them. And right. they only trained when they had a fight. Uh, I would try to stay away from those people as much as I could, because it, it, it almost becomes this uh, infection that spreads. And I agree I with extremely you. Extremely seriously. Without I, a doubt. For me, winning and losing was everything. I was devastated if I lost. And if I did lose, I was in the gym as quickly as my body allowed me to. Even when people told me to get the hell out of the gym, it was like, no, I don't have any time to lose. I, I started this late. I need every single minute I can. And yes. uh, I took it very seriously because, again, I'm not that physically imposing guy that could rely on my body getting me through. I, I needed technical ability to outdo them the best that I could. And, um, yeah, I, I think that's a dangerous mindset, especially against a guy like John Jones that um, I think has been training pretty consistently. And when he gets in the cage, uh, he has that mindset where he's out there to kill you. He's not out there to win. He's out there to destroy. And if you don't have that same mindset, uh, you could be in trouble. But at the very least, what I could say is that against Tai Tuivasa, he did show, or Cyril Gaon, right, uh, did show that he knows how to come back from adversity. He yep. is tough. He can get hurt and come right back. So if, if that is um, very important heading into this fight against John Jones because he will find himself in trouble at some point in that fight, I imagine. So, um, yeah, I, I thought that was a very interesting comment. I've been thinking about that a lot. Wait, wait, first off, I, I love Cyril Gaon's stand-up. He's, yeah. de he's definitely, I think, has a, a I think he has a clear advantage. And look, Engano, people were afraid to even make a move on him. Cyril really, he, he handled that, though he handled those waters pretty good, man. He wasn't, nothing. There was no fear. There was nothing. I thought he did a great job in that fight, excluding, you know, that one mistake. But, uh yeah, I don't know. He's he's definitely not fearful of John Jones, but that you know that that might be good and that might be bad. You know, that's why I say right. like you you need sometimes you need that fear to drive you those extra rounds in sparring or conditioning or training and you know to really make it serious. And I don't know. I I think John, you hit it. He's naturally so gifted that sometimes those guys don't work hard. You know, the question so. beckons though, right? Yeah, he fought Francis Ngannou thirteen months ago. And yeah. as John Jones articulated this week, that's the best wrestler in MMA that Sirogan has ever fought. Francis Ngannou, <laughs> right? So how much wrestling maintenance and commitment has there been from Sirogan over the last 13 months? Because, Kenny, I think you're very bright to bring up the resolve. 
he showed in coming back to beat Tyson. Yes. It was a very difficult fight. Yes. All the pressure was on gone, obviously, as we ushered in the Paris market, all of that stuff, right? But, dude, if you're going to beat John Jones, like, hopefully there's been a wrestling and a grappling commitment over the last 13 months because that's going to be a real problem against a heavyweight John Jones, yeah. one would think. Yeah, and John, the other thing is, you know, with all of those guys, all he had to do is worry about one aspect of MMA. Now he's got to right. worry about the other aspects. You right. know what I mean? And and we saw what happened even with, with Francis with the takedown. That was one time, and it just, you know, I, it was not good. You know, yeah. so it was, I don't know. I, I, I do like Cyril. I think he's a, definitely a live underdog for sure. I would never go the opposite, but I think – Fight IQ and just all the accomplishments. John John Jones knows how to compete and he knows how to win. Even when things aren't even looking good, he still finds a way to get the job done. Yeah. All right, last question because we do got to get on out of here. I've got some voiceover commitments coming up here at the top of the hour. But, Ray, I wanted to ask you as a coach. Yeah. When you have an athlete who's sort of on the cusp of contention, like Ryan Spann, he didn't have the Nikita Krilov fight this weekend. It's going to happen March 11th. But he said at the post-fight press conference, I was going back into champ camp on Monday, right? Jamal Hill got a light heavyweight title fight on five weeks notice. So when you have a guy on the cusp, and this is probably an unfair question, but I'm asking as a fan, like, how do you manage his workload in trying to have the athlete peak, but also looking at Ryan Spam right now and saying, Hey man, there's a chance you're getting a title fight in the next like 24 to 36 months. The division to whatever degree is wide open. Like you kind of got to stay pretty ready if you're going to be ready to take a short notice title fight. So how do you sort of balance the rest and the recovery with the availability that seems to be so key in modern day mixed martial arts? Well, first off, you, you let him rest after that because emotionally that had to be tragic to him. I mean, that that was oh. I mean, we got to, we got passed away in, you know, those 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 things got to be killers. So, you know, it's always good to have people he could talk to that maybe have been in the same spot and that have gotten through it. You know, so I think having a great support team around you is really important. Give the guy his rest. Those weight cuts are brutal. Uh, and then just get him back in the gym and keep him positive. And, you know, explain to him that, you know, you have to be ready because these chances are going to come and you don't know when they're going to come. And, you know, as a coach, you try to balance that. You make sure he doesn't go too crazy and you make sure he's still in the gym enough to where if you got a five-week fight, it's not a problem. You don't have to take 50 pounds off the guy. You know what I mean? So. Right. Uh, you know, you use it. I, I would use it as momentum. You know, we were right there. We got screwed, but let's stay positive and uh, keep your body healthy and get ready to go if we need to. Kenny, I don't know if you have anything to add on that. Obviously, there's going to be another weight cut here for Ryan Spann. You know, I think back to 2011, you beat Diego Nunes in June, and you probably thought, yeah, if I, you know, I'm getting a title fight. They're probably going to turn me around in three or four months, and that's exactly the way it happened. You know, how do you as a coach or trainer sort of manage that balance with your athlete who's maybe on the cusp Kenny of uh, of a potential title shot in the UFC yeah I, I think you got to be smart with um, you know the, the pacing of it right it, it's particularly a problem in the PFL where they have six week turnarounds it's fight after fight after fight camp after camp after camp um, and it's not always an easy thing to balance right um, especially if it's a brutal weight cut so you got to be smart with that, making sure that you're staying on point, that your focus, that uh, your drive and your passion is still very much present and that you not that you don't get too low off of that crash of going, I have this fight. Oh, no, I don't. Right. Like, 
you have to keep that motivation level high, whether it's the fighter themselves or the coach kind of encouraging that fighter. Hey, stay in it. Stay in it. We're, 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 it's just around the corner. Um, you're going to have to do this weight cut again. So, yeah, I mean, maybe there's a day or two where you kind of enjoy yourself, but then you tell your fighter, you enjoyed that food. Did it taste good? Cool. Get right back. Yeah, right. Get right back to it. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's a balance, man. Yeah, and it depends on the guy, too. Some guys, you know, yeah, look, it's good to have a gym full of fighters, too, because they, they do comfort each other. You know, like, again, that's we always said a good team. They're there to raise you up, and they're a safety net when you, when you fail. So not that this was a big failure. It was out of his control, yeah. and that's the other thing. All he could do, he, he can't control what happened. All he could do is control how he reacts to what happened. And yeah. I think sometimes when you explain that to the guys and it makes sense, they're, you know, it's easy for them to move on, a little easier for them to move on. But again, you get a high strung guy who's out of his mind, it's going to be, you're going to have to reel him in harder. And some guys, you know, a, a guy like Marab would take that in stride like nothing happened. Oh, right. I, I could guarantee you yeah. that. That's a good He example. would not even, I'm going to say, it, that's exactly what he would say to me. I, I couldn't control it. Yeah. All I could control now is how I'm going to react to it. And he's going to react the right way, guaranteed. guaranteed. I've seen it. All right. We're not looking for you to take a shot at Mark Zuckerberg, but the Instagram handle for Ray Longo after he got hacked is now Ray Longo MMA nine three five eight. He's back. What's yeah, the nah, nine three nah. five eight? I, John, I'm going to tell you something. That, you don't know. Yeah, I have no clue. <laughs> that, that thing was. I want to say that thing was set up years ago by somebody, and I don't know why. Okay, but I'm talking. I bet you that thing's been around. How long has Instagram been around? I don't know. Not as long I, as you've been around, but pretty. No, 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 nothing's been around as long I was as I've say, been around. That's yeah. not because Ray was ninety-three when he set up. Yeah, right. The, 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 the Studa Baker was around when uh, I, I was thinking maybe Longo was fifty-eight when the handle was set up. He's going to live till ninety. Oh no! I, no, no! I have no, no All clue. Right. I don't even go there. I got. I'm. Yeah. I'm, well. But Ray Longo is much more active, I think, on Twitter, where you can yeah, maybe Ray Longo yeah. MMA, but at Ray Longo MMA 9358 on Instagram. Zero posts yet, so we'll see if eventually. <laughs> yeah, well, I keep thinking I'm getting my other account back, so yeah. All right. I might have to switch tag him in our posts. Good. Right, well, uh, uh, yeah. Hey, Ray, enjoy UFC 285, and uh, we will Looking forward to it. Awesome. Monday, right, awesome. I'm glad you're feeling better. Enjoy Vegas, Kenny. Thank, Thank you, Ray. Good, good work, care. buddy. Take See it easy. Buddy. There Take he is. Care. Great. Raymond Peter Longo with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. And we got to get on out of here. We're right back with you on Wednesday with an interview with UFC middleweight contender Brendan Allen. We'll see if he is celebrating with his daughters in Louisiana. Also, don't forget, KennyFlorianMartialArts.com is live, as is AnnaFlorianPodcast.com. If you want to get some merchandise to support the show, we appreciate that promo code Longo for, I think, 10 or 15% off. And if you do want the One More Sleep merchandise, Millions.co, there is a link in my Instagram bio as well. KenFlo, burning it at all ends. We appreciate the energy today, and thank you all for listening, for subscribing on DraftKings. We will talk to you in about four 48 hours. Thanks to our guests, Brian Petrie and Ray Longo. Our executive producer is Cody Merrill for Ken Flom, John Anderson. So long for now. See you guys Wednesday. Won't be long before the big pay-per-view this week. Let's go.
Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.